Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So... Turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment, and welcome to another awesome episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. So today is part two of our epic discussion about teen idols of the 80s. And I just had to welcome back one of the decade's most idolized idols of that decade, the queen of the teens herself, Ms. Debbie Gibson. Because honestly, Debbie, I felt like we'd only just started to get into it. I just could not shake your love, so to speak. So last time when we chatted, we got into your literally record-breaking career and the careers of your peers, of course, like New Kids on the Block, New Edition, Tiffany. But when I was doing research for this podcast, and you know, if you Google 80s teen idols, a lot of the people that come up actually aren't music. I mean, if you're actually talking about people who were teens at the time, a lot of the people that were on the cover in the 80s of magazines like 16, Tiger Beat, Young Miss or YM or whatever our actors. So can we just talk for a second? Because speaking of anniversaries, this year is the 40th anniversary of the movie, The Outsiders. And my mind still boggles and my body still remembers that all of these people were in the same movie. All these people were in the same movie, people. See Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, this is before Karate Kid, Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, rest in peace. And this is before Dirty Dancing. Rob Lowe, one of the kings of the Brat Pack, Emilio Estevez, and I'd love to get into some John Hughes talk for a minute because one of my teen idols was Molly oh, Ringwald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Diane Lane, who I adore. I love her, yes. She was amazing in Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, and in Streets of Fire. Leif Garrett had a small part, 70s teen idol. And not an 80s teen idol, but fun fact, Tom Waits had a small part in that film as well. So... All of these people, and they, this was all kind of early in their careers. They all went on to become like the biggest Brat Pack teen movie kings and princes of the era. They were all mm-hmm. in the same movie together. And then, they, like I said, there were all the John Hughes movies. I want to know who that casting director was, because whoever that casting director was had some foresight. I'm going to look that up. Who did I see recently? Like Octavia Spencer is in like Win a Date with Ted Hamilton as like the, the cashier friend at the grocery store. And I'm like, who was like Octavia Spencer needs to be in this movie. Like before she was Octavia Spencer. I'm always fascinated by that. You know, what movie was also on the other day that speaking of is um, stand by me. Yeah. And I don't think stand by me guys. Cause when you talked about the cover of those magazines, it was the Corey's and it was river Phoenix. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. Yeah, and Corey Haim, rest in peace as well. The Corys were everywhere, licensed to drive, the Lost Boys. I mean, they had their own reality show for a while. Corey Feldman and I played Katy Perry's parents. 
the That's teenage right. kids, right? In the last Friday night video. The last Friday night video, I completely forgot about that. Like Hanson were in it. I mean, they're not 80s, but Hanson were in it. And they're a band that just side note, deserve a lot more respect than they get. Yeah, you and Corey Feldman played Katy Perry's parents in the Yeah, so you played a married couple. And that's amazing. Terry O'Connell is still around and rocking it. Will Wheaton, my pal, is still around and rocking it. I always loved in Stand By Me how they predicted what Will Wheaton would look like as an adult. Like he was this kind of like not so hot dad at the end. And I'm like, Will, I want to, I keep wanting to call him and say like, Will, were you offended? Or are you just like, yeah, look at me now. I do not look like that guy. Yeah. Just like the new kids. Right. Like it was interesting to see, like, let's predict how Will Wheaton would look in 40 years or whatever, 35 years. And it's nothing like Will Wheaton looks a heck of a lot cooler than they predicted. By the way, the casting director of The Outsiders was a man named Fred Roos, R-O-O-S, doing the Lord's work. Thank you, Fred, if you are listening to this wherever you are. Thank you I mean, right. But a lot of the stuff that was happening in music with kind of, as I was trying to lay out the argument for, of a youth quake that we're still feeling to this day, the John Hughes Brat Pack era absolutely did with soundtracks. I mean, you know, now it's kind of par for the course that if a Twilight movie comes out or whatever, that there's going to be an epic soundtrack with hit makers of the day. But that kind of started with the John Hughes movies. But like Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, who wasn't in any, I don't think the John Hughes movies, but he was in St. Elmo's Fire. I mean, Judd Nelson, but Molly Ringwald was very important. She, unlike some of the people I mentioned who were playing teenagers that actually weren't teenagers, mm-hmm. again, a lot of times we were looking up to people older than us. Molly Ringwald actually was a teenager when she was in 16 Candles. I think she was a, about 16 and she was a regular girl, meaning that she looked like someone that could be your friend that, you know, and I wanted all of the pretty and pink clothes still do, to be honest. Except the prom, the prom, the prom dress wasn't good. I don't want the prom dress. <laughs> no, it was not prom that good. The prom dress wasn't good. Everything else was good. We all want Jake to come and like celebrate our birthday with us. <laughs> Molly Ringwald had that accessibility and she had that quirkiness. And like, I always loved her too. I mean, she had that, that punk spirit, you know, she had that nonconformist thing that you obviously had in you. I had in me. You did. You absolutely did. And and I think girls at the same time looked up to you, but also related to you in, in the same way that a lot of people felt about Molly Ringwald. Like she, you know, is a cool girl that you could aspire to be like, but if you met her, you know, she's a real person. The same thing. Exactly. And also like fashion wise, even like, you know, how, what she did in the movie, but it felt like in real life, it's like, hey, I'm throwing this together and this together from my closet. It's not this couture, unattainable look. Now I kind of do a mix and match. Like I went the other direction for a while and then I realized like- Mixing the high and low is important. Yeah, that whole kind of like desperately seeking Susan look was something I was super, she was my teen idol, Madonna, and I very much wanted to dress. But as a quick pretty and pink aside, because we were talking about like imagining through the teenage mind what- aging was supposed to look like what will wheaton's character was supposed to look like the most crushing part of pretty in pink is iona's make under like what the hell she probably was <laughs> iona being the the woman played by annie potts who runs the record yeah, yeah, Mollet, yeah, who's uh, Mo- andy's boss i wanted to be like her when i grew up it's like okay she probably wasn't that old but she's supposed to be a woman like in her 30s probably right, and right. she like runs a record store that's her job that's cool and she like wears all this cool thrift store stuff and she just looks awesome and she's quirky and weird and the message there was a very reductive message 
in that film and also with Ali Sheedy's makeover in, in the breakfast club right. where like a woman should a aspire to get a guy B aspire to get a guy who's kind of like a normal guy. And that that normal guy will only like her when she looks quote unquote normal herself. So at the end of that, when Annie Potts looks like basically, you know, a real estate agent, a housewife. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And she gets the doctor as a result and she's happier. <laughs> Why couldn't the message have been like, it's fine if she wants to, you know, date a doctor if she's no longer like, hey, me dating these like rock star or starving artist types is not working out. I want a stable guy. Listen, I know it's back a decade, but like, it's also like Greece, dress like a slut and get the guy. I mean, there's a lot of these messages in these movies that definitely need an update. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Justin Tranter is working on Rise of the Pink Ladies right now. So hopefully that story can be retold. But I want to kind of, since we're sort of talking about, it's inevitable when two women who've been in the business for a while especially someone who's been through everything you've been through the subject of low-key misogyny or sometimes high-key misogyny will come up and in general and this isn't even just pertain to the 80s this is just everywhere it's always really gotten me mad that if an artist regardless of the genre they're at or what age the artist is if their fan base is primarily young girls teen girls female fan base they are taken less seriously. This has happened to rock bands like even Def Leppard or whatever, like, oh, mm-hmm. girls like them. So they are not as credible as Slayer or some other hard rock band. And pretty much every boy band, every Justin Bieber, every teen idol, every, if they have, a, even Billie Eilish when she first started out, if the fan base is young, Duran Duran, they really got this shit really hard. Duran Duran, it took them decades. They are respected other in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It took them decades to get the car respect because when they were at their commercial peak in the 80s, their fans were 12-year-old girls. And it's bullshit because here's the thing. Teen girls just need to be hired to do A&R. Who were the first people that liked the Beatles? Totally. Yes, and girls turn to women who will follow you to the ends of the earth. I mean, I have a lot of, I have straight males, I have gay males, I have straight females, I have gay females, and all the colors of the rainbow in between. But I do have a lot of women that have been with me from the beginning. And listen, who do you think is packing the new kids' cruises? Uh-huh. It's 99% women, grown women who are vital and vibrant and never forgot. It's my title, The Body Remembers. There you go. Women do not forget yeah. singing into their hairbrush in their bedroom, they don't forget what song was playing when their person asked them to the prom. They don't. It's, it's they're very loyal. They're very loyal. If I if I've gone to a Hanson concert, I see the now grown women, probably in around their thirties, who were listening to Umbop. If I go see Harry Styles, I see women in their mid twenties who mm-hmm. loved One Direction when that's what makes you beautiful comes out. Female fans are very loyal. And as I was just saying, they're very ahead of the curve. I mean, it is a full on fact that when the Beatles first came out, look at Beatlemania, look at the people that were waiting at JFK with signs for them when the Beatles landed. Look who was in the audience at Ed Sullivan. Look at Elvis Presley's career. Yes, and those women still scream and they still weep. I always say when I was doing Lost in Your Eyes with Joey McIntyre on the mixtape tour, grown women were weeping. I mean, there is something visceral about our connection to music and each other. And I do think we live in a time, thankfully, that women really do lift each other up. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. It's true. I think women are, are more kind of open 
about how connected they are to other women these days. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, like what, I don't know what sense it made to anyone when Atlantic was signing me, when it was like, before they signed me, when it was like, great, what hit male songwriter are we going to get to write your songs? And it was like, I'm like, but no, no, no. I mean, I literally had to say out loud, but, but no, I'm a young girl writing for other young people and expressing what they feel like. Who better to write about the kind of music that will click with one of the biggest and most loyal record buying demographics of the population, teenage girls, than a teenage girl herself. Like you walk the walk, you talk the talk, but it's just very weird to me. Like I, it's always stuck with me. A few years ago, I interviewed Davey Havoc from AFI, who that band, you know, they were a big band of the emo pop punk era of the aughts. And they got big, like about four or five albums in. And he remembers that as they were about to break, as AFI were about to go huge and be all over MTV, their audience used to be, because they came from a punk background, used to be mostly dudes, skate punk kind of dudes. And when he starts seeing their audience become more and more female, like about 50-50, he's like, we're doing something right. You know, look at BTS, like literally the biggest pop band on the planet. It's all young girls, little girls who did that. And I also think a lot of the, whatever decade you come up in, your teen idol is your gateway drug. And I actually just wanted to do another real quick aside because I like this anecdote as well. Many years ago, Cece DeVille of Poison was doing an interview at my work. (laughs) And he had a side band that actually was really good called Samantha Seven. He was doing an interview for that. And it was around the time that like kind of that late 90s, early 2000s boy band thing was happening, like Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way, around that era. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing the interview myself, but the person who was basically asked Cece DeVille, what did he think of that kind of trend in music? And probably was expecting... CC the shit all over and be like, oh, it's not rock. They don't play their instruments, whatever. And he absolutely did not. He, I don't remember what he, he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but he pretty eloquently said, even if this isn't the kind of music I like personally, he's like, this is the gateway. He's like, there are kids who are going, like, Backstreet Boys will be the first band they ever like. It'll be the first album they buy. It'll be the first concert they right. go to. And it will start a lifelong love affair with music. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what, like when you're saying that like girls remember their first prom song or whatever. So I don't, I mean, I'm kind of rambling, but I'm just wondering why do you think it is that even with all this evidence that we've just laid out, that there are so many music snobs that think if an audience is more than 50% or is mostly young women, instead of them thinking like, oh, wow. This artist is on to something. Yeah, I just think people feel like they have to justify their jobs and people are fear-based in that way. And I do think that like, it's what I was saying about like, I can't create a viral moment, right? Like you can't be contrived and pure at the same time, right? You can't strategize on how to have a hit. Like there's nothing more magical like than that time for me when I was writing those songs and I wasn't paying rent. I was living in my parents' house. So like, what I was doing was so pure. It was such a pure expression. And then it was such a pure connection to the audience, especially with those songs I produced or co-produced, or even my producer at the time, Fred Czar would take my, what I played on my demos and basically like, let me preserve everything magical about that arrangement you came up with and just enhance the sounds because he knew that it was connected. Like we were saying earlier, it's like, I had the posters on, you know, I had Michael Jackson on my wall and George Michael on my wall and new kids on my wall and Madonna on my wall. And I was copying Madonna's like, borderline her, da, 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 every time I'm telling secrets. I was 
I was copying her vocal inflections and I was in it. I was in it. So those grown men knew they couldn't touch that connection I had with my audience. They knew, but they were afraid they were going to be out of a job. See, my thing now, now, like with the Body Remembers album, as you know, mm-hmm. I work with Sean Thomas, who's now 21. I started working with him when he was 14. Oh, wow. Like, hire people younger and better than you to help you execute your vision, in my opinion. Like, I'm always going to be with my melodic sensibility and my lyrics and my connection to my audience now. But if I want to sonically be in the mix of what's modern and current, I am going to collaborate with people who are in the thick of that in a way that I'm not. I mean, I am in it like in that I listen to current music, but I love that, like, again, sonically, I'm not still locked in my bedroom on my recorder doing the tech side. So I admit that, like, I've moved away from that. So I'm going to find that person who was like me now to work with. And not be afraid of that. Well, let's bring it on home with the current time, because we sort of, right at the beginning of this conversation, you were speculating about whether you and your peers have gotten the critical respect that maybe you didn't get then, that has been a long time coming. I think you have. I also want to know, I'm curious to get your thoughts about if you think there's something in the water, in the ether, that's making people crave this kind of music. Because I've mentioned that the mixtape tour is so big and you know you mentioned there are these cruises and like there's a renaissance for this kind of pop in general i often even whether it's 80s or it's just sort of from that tradition like i've referenced many times that in 2019 ariana grande when she headlined coachella and there was a time when a pop artist wouldn't even headline coachella at all that's a relatively new phenomenon and black pink which is a girl a k-pop girl group is headlining coachella this year 2023 mm-hmm. but in 2019, when Ariana Grande played Coachella, she had NSYNC, minus Justin Timberlake, but she had NSYNC come on as her surprise guest. There was a time when at a festival like that, if NSYNC came on, they'd be booed off the stage. People would laugh. Right. Instead, it was the biggest thing that happened that weekend. People were losing their shit. People were so excited. I see the tides turning critically, but also just nostalgically. And I would love from you as someone who's been playing to audiences both the loyal audiences you grew up with and also new people. You must see it. You must see this happening. I totally see it. I want to like comment on two parts of what you said. So first of all, yes, like I said, I get respect from people who like really know music and know the history like Sam and Justin, but then there are like award shows and things that like they'll invite me to do the red carpet. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to sit home and watch it on TV (laughs) until you decide there's some special acknowledgement for me. And if you don't, that's okay. But like, I don't quite know where I fit into the landscape sometimes or where like, if I show up on a red carpet, like I'm probably never getting that acknowledgement, right? Because I walk this weird line. I've always fallen between a lot of cracks. I did between Mm -hmm. Broadway and pop. And I do between like, people see me up here or they see me down there or they... They're offering me roles or I have to audition or I wake up every day and I'm like, ooh, which me is going to be like, how are people going to perceive me today in my business world? I have no idea day to day, literally. So I have to keep my own. What's good for me? Where do what rooms do I feel good in? What places do I feel good in? You know, like me not being everywhere on every red carpet allows me to stay home and rest and write and further my actual craft. And so we live in a world right now where so much is from the outside in and perception 
that I have to remind myself to go back to the well and to go inward and not to care about all that stuff mm. and not to think like, oh, am I supposed to schmooze these people to get this accolade? So I just step back a lot from all of that. So that's just one part. And to talk about nostalgia, what I call nostalgia. Nostalgia. I love that. I love that. Can I might borrow that from you. I can't take credit for it. Alvin uh, Nicole, who I was working on a TV pitch project with, Thank you, Nicole, for nostalgia. I always give her credit. I love it. Because it is like current to be nostalgic now. That's mm-hmm. what's so interesting, right? It's cool again. And I do think it definitely is because we live in a world where we wake up and there's a mass shooting on TV and there's people turning against drag queens. And there's there's a lot of icky stuff in the world. And we would like to time travel in a way. Not really. I don't want to time travel in the sense like I don't think everything great was done in the past. But we want to time travel and grab the pure innocent. Like it literally wells me up with tears because we want our world to be more innocent and we want to take the pretty from that time and from that music before vocals were tuned. And we want those pure melodies and we want that pure relationship with those artists. Like it just harkens back to that time. And I think it, it stirs a very deep connected feeling. That's why certain TV shows and certain eras of music and they resonate so deeply. And that's why like when Joey and I played Vegas and people came to see us and they were like, that's my idol and my crush together on the stage. Like that's powerful. That's powerful. That should not be categorized in any trite way. Like, oh, these teen acts, these former whatever and that. No, it's a powerful connection and it's a resonance that we all in a frequency we want now. We need now to sustain in this very chaotic, troubled world. So that's why I think people are gravitating to these artists. And I also think a lot, like I've said throughout this amazing conversation that I'm so glad we're having, is that so many people of our era have sustained. Yes. And they're thriving, right? So Mm -hmm. like, it's not oh, look at new kids in their, you know, baggy clothes and hiding their dad bods and whatever. No, they're out to play. They're out to compete. They're top of their game. We Mm -hmm. all want that inspiration. We all want that aspiration. It's like, wow, we all grew up together. If they can be that, I can be that. 100%. But my fans, not just my entertainment peers, I look at my people in my audience and I'm like, good for you. People are doing their best. People are really kind of like, I don't want to say fighting the aging process, but like fighting the perception of aging. Perception is the point. I love everything you just said. I was like hanging on your every word, but I really hate it when a terrible tabloid ever is like, here's a picture of someone who was famous in 1985 or 1975 or 1990. What? Look at how terrible they look. Look what, what, and people are online going like, what happened to them? And like, it reminds me of like, Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, when she would do interviews, people would be like, what happened to Princess Leia? She used to be so hot in her gold bikini. And she's like, "Um, that was 45 years ago, you know? I mean, I, I think it was Annie McDowell did an interview the other day on morning television. And like, she was asked about her choice to have her hair go naturally gray. And she's like, basically like, who am I trying to fool? Like, we know I'm in my 60s. Like, mm-hmm. she looks amazing. Amazing. I always say to my audience, like, they have grown up with me and I've grown up with them. And we're all still here and we're all still fighting the good fight and doing our thing. People are moms, people are lawyers, people are baristas, people are movie stars, people, whoever. 
And everybody's just, you know, doing their thing. And I think a lot of people are really working hard on themselves and leaning into as much joy as they possibly can. And this music from this era exemplifies joy. Absolutely. Well said. So speaking of celebrating the era and joy, you know, as I mentioned, you have anniversaries coming up as this episode is airing. I can't keep up with them. Sometimes I look at my social media and I'm like, oh my God, I missed the anniversary of the Foolish Beat video. And (laughs) yeah, there's a lot, but as this is airing, it is the 35th anniversary of the record of Foolish Beat going to number one and setting the record for the youngest artist. And it's not just youngest female artist. I believe it's just youngest artist ever. Well, so it was youngest artist at that time. And now I'm youngest female. Soldier Boy kissed me through the phone. He was also 17 and made that record completely on his own. Wow. Soldier Boy. And it was a great record. Good for you, Soldier Boy. I didn't have the, I didn't know I, I I figured it was going to be, you know, a Justin Bieber or, you know, maybe Billie Eilish that beat your record no. or, or, or tied your record, but you still hold the record for the youngest female youngest artist female. somewhere. Like I think billboard printed the list last year. It's a very small club of solo female writer producers. I think it's like Dolly Parton, Gloria Estefan. It's a very, very, alarmingly shockingly small club yeah it's an elite club come on with it that's what i'm gonna say is that perhaps hopefully people listening to this conversation or looking at your example will want to make that a larger club even though it's nice to be an exclusive club i'd like i think we'd both like it to be a a bigger club Uh, yeah i've been in it long and it's like i've carried that torch long enough i'm happy to pass it to all the young girls and it's really about trusting your creative vision you know, I said it like I, I did a post recently, where, like I'm playing a piano piece I wrote and I'm like, all writing is, is like keeping your channel open and hearing something, trusting it, writing it down. Not everything that comes in is great, but it's like you keep doing it and it naturally gets fine tuned. But there's a lot of trust involved, trusting that your voice is important and bringing it way back to when we started this conversation. And I said, Phoebe Bridgers said about Taylor Swift receiving the Innovator Award she heard this girl singing about herself and her life. And like, it was enough. It was a girl singing about her life. It's enough. It's more than enough. So how are you going to celebrate, like I said, 35th anniversary of the record set by Foolish Beat next year, 2024. That's when Electric Youth will celebrate its 35th. I'm still hoping that the perfume, the cologne, Electric Youth will be reissued. It's You can get it on eBay, but it's going to cost you a lot. And I don't know, you know, if, I guess if it's sealed, it'll still smell like. Oh, my God. We're like one step closer where you you would be shocked at how crazy finding your way up the proper food chain at Revlon is. We've got <laughs> one step further up the food chain. So we're working on it. Listen, if the official reboot doesn't happen, I'm doing my own knockoff. Just get in the lab, you know, with like, you know, the perfumery lab and just create it. I would, I mean, I'm being serious. I think actually a reissue of the perfume because you were one of the first pop idols to have your own. Now every pop idol has a line. I don't say hand you your perfume deal with your record deal now. And back then it was a very innovative thing to do. Again, like, my mom managing me and me and, you know, it was this very female oriented product. Mm-hmm. And I was in that lab, actually. My mom used to make fun of me because she's like, Deb, in your memory, you were literally like the chemist. But in actuality, they were like, do you like this scent? Do you like this scent? And I gravitated toward the vanillas and the mm-hmm. fruits. I was like, I don't like the floral, like grandma's perfumey perfume scents. So I wanted to make it smell kind of like young and 
fruity and fresh and, you know, I still to this day like candles and anything that smells like a food. Like I want like a Me too. coconut cream cake candle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Aside from the cologne reissue that we all want to, we all want to, you know, douse ourselves in electric youth in more ways than one. What else do you have coming up to celebrate all the anniversaries? I know there's been some talk about for Electric Youth next year, doing some kind of play the album in its entirety, special shows, events. Yeah, so we're working on all of that. So here in my dreams, well, first of all, I'm doing the 80s cruise, nice. which is going to be so much fun. And we're seeing who of the original band we could get to get back together, which is really fun. My dream is to be able to do a handful of big shows where I do the album, like recreate the original electric youth show. That's, that's the dream, you know, and then maybe like medley up the new stuff for people who have lost track of me for the three decades. So that's the goal. We're putting stuff together. I really want to get back to international because people know me as this mainstream artist, but I'm not on a major label. I have this indie spirit, indie company, but like a mainstream name and mainstream perception. And so putting all that together is trickier than the public realizes. Mm. People are like, well, you know, Australia. It's like, you can't just call up the country of Australia and go, when can I come, you know. <laughs> Hello, country of Australia. But yeah, so we are digging in. We're trying to find, you know, those right scenarios, those right venues. I've waited this long. So when I go back to these places, I want to do it right and with a level of class and, and integrity, but I want to reach people. So we're trying to put it all together and figure it out. But that is the dream to do the show. That's my dream as well. And probably the dream of a lot of people listening or watching right now. I want to do the whole of the dance break. Are you going to wear the jean shorts? I guess I could do, listen, a little bit like of what Taylor did, is doing in her Eras tour, you know, maybe do like kind of the modern homage to those costumes. And I have some of the original ones and they fit. So it's been about a year and a half since The Body Remembers came out. It got a lot of critical raves it did very well on the charts it was very well timed with sort of the disco revival that was happening that year with artists like Miley Cyrus and uh, of course Dua Lipa and Kylie Minogue another sort of teen idol of the 80s who I adore so that kind of opened the doors like I mentioned earlier that was the first studio album of original material you released in like two decades which is kind of crazy and I imagine that whetted your appetite to do more like are we going to hear more original music from you soon a thousand percent. I cannot tell you how often I've gone to that piano in the last week. When I was starting the writing for The Body Remembers during the pandemic, I wasn't like constructing an album consciously. I was just writing what was coming to me. And there is a group of songs from that time as well that is definitely a little more of the singer-songwriter genre, the less kind of aggressive dance rock I did on The Body Remembers. So this will have a bit more of a like, put it this way, before I even ever step foot in front of the microphone, I'm going to want to take a month to like calm my nervous system. Mm. There's just a specific feeling I know that I want to elicit from it, but it is more of that melodic singer songwriter vibe. And so who knows when I'll really record it, but sometime, I guess in the next year and a half, we'll say. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I did on the, I did out of the blue shows at, at 54 below this past year for the 35th of out of the blue. And I pulled a demo for a song called double take that it was a, it was one that didn't make any of the albums and I reproduced it and performed it live. And it was, it was a fan favorite. It was so much fun. I have, I have so much music, Lindsay. It's so, it's insane. Like I look and I go, 
nobody will ever hear everything I've done. I mean, I've like, I feel like I have thousands of songs. I have hundreds of notebooks. I have hundreds of dat tapes with every one has 20, 25 songs on them. I mean, well, I'm looking forward to hearing more. And again, to your point that you were making earlier, it's great to see that you're still in it and excited and, you know, inspired and making new stuff. It has been a very inspiring conversation with you. It always is. Thank you. It always is, but this might be my favorite. Oh, thank you. I don't know. This just, I don't know. This was the right thing on the right day and the right subject and the right two girls. Absolutely. I mean, well, you're such a, an insightful music historian my god and appreciateur which is so great oh my god Debbie you're gonna make me cry oh no really and you wore that piano sweater I wore a piano sweater for you and I didn't even realize when I did it that Liberace's piano would be in the background for this chat. <laughs> so this was this chat was historical and historical in more ways than one so Debbie I want to thank you thank you queen of the teens queen of the scene for joining me oh, today thank you so much thank you thank you everybody for all the support i always say it for all the love and loyalty over three and a half decades absolutely and thanks to everybody out there listening remember to give totally 80s some love with a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and i will catch you next time this was totally 80s the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever don't forget to follow us on facebook and instagram at totally 80s and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. <laughs>